0: Hey! This is My True Normal. A True Crime and Paranormal Podcast.
1: This is our ninety seventh (laughs) time trying to record this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's one thirty in the morning.
0: So, just bear with us.
1: We're having some audio issues, so it might be a little choppy today, because we're going to try to figure this out.
0: Well, let's...
1: I think it so far so good, so fingers crossed. Sounds okay at the moment. Hopefully. I guess we'll find out. (laughs) Replay. (laughs) This is episode seven?
0: Uh... I hope so.
1: Connecticut.
0: <laughs> Connecticut.
1: Very excited. Uh, me too. Have
0: you ever been to Connecticut?
1: Yes, many, many times. Connecticut's just over the... A ferry right away from Long Island.
0: Sounds dandy.
1: Yay. Yes, over the Sound. Went across <laughs> the Sound, and then you're in Connecticut. And there's lots of casinos... So I've been mm. gambling quite a few times there. Nice. Play like bingo. <laughs> it's actually a lot of fun. It play for like five hours, but you've only got a ton of money. Nice. My
0: step uncle lives in Connecticut. I've never been there, but that's where he lives.
1: It's fun. There's lots of cool things to do there. My college roommate also lives in Connecticut. Nice. You know, New England and whatnot.
0: New England.
1: Okay. So today I'm true crime. And I have a good one.
0: Spooky Ookies.
1: And I've tried to tell the story several times. <laughs> I told most of it, but let's see how this one goes. Um True Crime, Connecticut. Let's go. <laughs> Do you want to... Okay. We might be a little choppy, but we're just trying to make this work. So far, so good. So, I am covering the murder of Hella Crafts.
0: Hella, Hella, Hella. Hella
1: Crafts. It's spelled like Helly. Like H-E-L-L-E.
0: Like hell of a good dip.
1: Hell of a good dip. It's yeah. <laughs> just like that. You love hell of a good dip. Um... I tried to buy that for Alexi, fun fact, and fly it home, but she forgot that it was refri- refrigerated. So I was like, how am I Yeah. Do that?
0: I don't even know. I was just so excited that you were going to New York, and I was like, that's the one thing I want.
1: And then I was like, wait, it's in the fridge. <laughs> um, but it's spelt like hella, but spoken like hella. Felt like hella, but spoken like hella. I don't know. Fun fact the reason why I know how to say her name is because this case is the very first episode of Forensic Files, the pilot of Forensic Files.
0: I love that show,
1: and that it's show's so been good. On for like 26 years or something like that.
0: Do you know they have a podcast? Who,
1: yes, I did know that. I love it. I don't know what i've listened to a bit but i know i have like heard some of it mm-hmm. but it, this is their pilot episode so i watched it and it was retro <laughs> <laughs> sure.
0: like watching a show in the 90s it's literally what it
1: was i think it came out in ninety seven. So. <laughs> um and they've had the same voiceover like what is that called like host the whole time the,
0: the narrator
1: the narrator the whole time
0: it's wow amazing.
1: To this day. Um well, let's get into it.
0: Let's go 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 go.
1: Hella Kraft married Richard Kraft and they had three kids together and lived in Newport, Connecticut in the nineteen eighties. And they were married roughly twelve years when this story starts. So Hella is a Danish flight attendant for Pan Am and her husband is a pilot for Eastern Airlines. Hella is known as a very committed and loving mom. However, her marriage was the complete opposite. Yikes. So, Hella tells her friends, you know, her marriage is falling apart, it's full of distance, it's full of anger. Her friends notice, you know, he's kind of cold and that she's complaining. You know, about the marriage. Richard was never home. He was consistently lying, and Hella found out that he was making frequent long distance phone calls Ooh. to a number she did not recognize. So Hella grew tired of this and contacted her lawyer about filing for divorce after strongly suspecting an affair.
0: Uh, she should.
1: Yeah, she was like, fuck this shit, I'm out. <laughs> The lawyer and Hella discussed hiring a detective to look into the affair and to prove her suspicions in order, you know, to really go through the divorce. After providing the long distance phone number, the private investigator, whose name is Detective Mayo, <laughs>
0: I love it so much. That's
1: his name. <laughs> this is not the first time she's heard this because we've tried to record this so many times, but it's fine. I love it so much. <laughs> his name is literally Mayo, so that's great. And for some reason, Hella took him seriously. I mean, he seems like a great guy. Don't get me wrong.
0: Come get your Mayo. <laughs>
1: Pretty much. Um, and he was able to do some deep digging. He was able to take several photos of Richard being kissed by a woman, holding hands with a woman, and doing other intimate gestures, like this woman rubbing his back, touching his face, and so on. It's so weird. It's just, yeah.
0: Let me rub your back, sweetie.
1: They were let clearly me...
0: canoodling.
1: Touching. Canoodling. <laughs> definitely. <a> yes. <laughs> um the woman turned out to be another flight attendant and had worked, you know, in the in the air with them. <laughs> they don't work for the same airline, but they had, like, you know, I guess met through work. They so... just saw each
0: other passing by through the oh, airline window. Like,
1: hey! hey. <laughs> <laughs> like, We're crossing state lines right now. See
0: you later. <laughs> passing through California. I'm through
1: Utah. Oh, my God. Hey. Hey. They're waving. Um, Mayo did reveal these photos that he had taken to Hella, who immediately just broke down she was very defeated mayo said hella sobbed in his car for 10 minutes after showing them to her
0: oh so sad
1: um after this hella told her lawyer as well as some other members of her flight crew who were her really close friends that if anything ever happened to her to not think it was an accident (laughs) is so the lawyer immediately was like "Ooh, red flag red flag um, you don't... You
0: don't say something like don't that.
1: say things like that without it having some sort of, you know... Like backstory. Especially because she reacted the way that she did. She sobbed for 10 minutes. Her friends were noticing that her husband was really cold and that, you know, things were rocky. And now she's telling them, you know, if anything happens to me, don't just assume it's an accident.
0: Ugh. Could you imagine if somebody just tells you that and you're like... <laughs>
1: No, I'd be like, what do I do? Call the cops now? Okay. Keep you in like protective services. Like I don't. I don't know.
0: How do you get to wit 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 witsec? Is that what it's called? Witsec.
1: Witsec is that witness protection?
0: Yeah. But like, there's like a special term for it. I don't know. (laughs) Don't mind me.
1: I actually don't know. It sounds familiar, but I don't know.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. On November eighteenth, nineteen eighty six. After returning from a European flight assignment, another member of her flight crew, her best friend, drove Hella home, dropped her off, said their goodbye, she said thank you. You know, they knew they would see each other later on that week. But little did they know that was the last time anyone would ever see Hella.
0: Dun, dun, dun. She's out. Bye.
1: A few days later, Ella missed her new flight assignment without calling in, which was very much not like her. She was very dependable. She was a good worker. She was a good mom. And based off of her previous statement and her previous, like, behavior, her friends called the crafts home immediately, where Richard told them that she was visiting her sick mother in Denmark. Oh. But then later, he told other people who had asked where she was that she was on vacation with friends
0: well which one is it there bud
1: exactly his story was not ending up and friends started to cross their stories with each other and they realized that things were not right hmm. after this there was a collected panic and the friends told the lawyer that she had disappeared and that she would not just up and leave without her children Mm. They knew something had to be wrong. Initially, police didn't seem too concerned. They weren't convinced that necessarily something was wrong yet. But Detective Mayo, P.I. Mayo, he knew something was wrong. So he launched an investigation immediately. Mayo spoke with the live-in nanny. Um, They had a nanny who lived at home and took care of the kids You know, when they were at work, they were gone for days at a time. When you're a pilot, you know, you're gone for several days at a time. Sometimes, same as a flight attendant. Right. So, the live-in nanny informed Mayo that there was a large, grapefruit-sized, black stain on the carpet. Shortly after Hella's disappearance, right inside the master bedroom. That's so gross. After noticing the stain she noticed that he ripped up the carpet and replaced it without any explanation, despite the nanny asking questions and trying to get information. She also told Mayo there was a large freezer missing from the garage.
0: That's just something that doesn't go missing. Like, let me just take this freezer out real quick.
1: More red flags. (laughs) And biggest red flag so far. Additionally... There were credit card receipts showing that Richard had rented a wood chipper right after. Ugh, the disappearance.
0: I still get chills. Yeah, gross. <laughs> so problem. horrible.
1: So Richard was asked to take a lie detector test. After discovering, you know, all this evidence, the police were more, in, you know, clued in and they started to realize something was wrong. Um, They asked him if he killed his wife and if he knew where she was. And police reported he showed no reaction and didn't appear to be lying. But that he had eerily no reaction. Did not seem to care either way.
0: That is just like so many red flags. It's so gross. And nobody says anything. No,
1: so this is now why police are starting to be like, okay. With the police now taking interest in the case, but having no leads, Connecticut State Police asked for the help of forensic expert Dr. Lee... Uh, Dr. Henry Lee, I'm sorry. Dr. Henry Lee. And this is where the forensic files comes in hot. Huh? Dun-dun. Dr. Lee accompanied police in investigating the craft's home, and he examined pieces in the home for any physical evidence, any tiny clues, anything that he can use to... Find something. Get any type of a lead. Um, And he did. On the mattress in the master bedroom, Dr. Lee discovered five tiny stains that were hardly visible to the human eye. And these five stains were proved to be human blood. So after doing his forensic magic, they discovered it was Hella's blood. And it was circulation blood, not menstrual blood. Okay. Which is crazy that they can test that. Apparently, Apparently. Biology, <laughs> they can look that up.
0: I I just don't understand. How can you tell I what it's with from?
1: With the makeup and the blood, I don't understand. I I did not. I did not do good in my biology. <laughs> <laughs> I it in the
0: Clearly, I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and I guess by testing this and finding out that it's circulation blood. That meant that a blood vessel had to have been injured to create the pattern of the stain. Okay. So, studying the stains further, the mattress, like, had, I don't know how to, how did I word it the first time? It had, like, a certain pattern to the splatter that suggested that she was hit with a blunt force object. While leaning or kneeling over the bed. And. I don't even know. I, I don't understand. Like I can't wrap my mind around like how. They can tell that.
0: Well I think. When. Either like. When you fall and you hit your head. The blood kind of just goes a certain way. But then if somebody hits you in the back of the head. Like. The blood is going to go like. Psh, it's like spray. I get.
1: Blood splatter. But it was five stains. And they were like. She was hit in the head while kneeling over the bed. Like, what?
0: Maybe he laid a tarp out and he just missed a couple <laughs> spots. But
1: they got it, and they also discovered a six-inch blood smear. 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 On the side of the bed. Some bagel shmear. smear. Um, They had this special magic solution to test the bed and to test towels found in the house to see if blood had recently been on these objects. And the towels appear to have been recently soaked in blood. Oh. So it made me think of like when you watch like crime shows and they use like the UV light to like find like. Like that really special
0: tool and their glasses, and they're like. Yeah. Yes.
1: Like. Bodily fluids. Like
0: CSI Miami when they put the goggles on and they're like. That's what made me think
1: of, but instead of it being light. It's, like, this solution that just turns blue, and the, the towels that were, like, a lighter color previously, like, a white, gray, whatever, were just, like, covered in, like, this blue ink, Oh. which means that that was blood. That's gross. Um, so, they have blood, human blood, circulation blood, found, <laughs> but where was her body? Where was a weapon? What's going on? police had nowhere to turn, so they searched for any odd or mysterious event that may have occurred or had been witnessed or anything in the recent time, especially close to Hellas' disappearance. And actually, the week that she disappeared, it had snowed and a snowplow driver reported seeing a wood chipper on the side of a bridge at 3.30 in the morning as well as a man in an orange poncho accompanying it.
0: How sketchy is that? You're, like, looking at a bridge and some guy's just standing there like, Hey! 3.30
1: in the morning. (laughs) So it was definitely more red flags. Yeah. So police made the plow driver take them to the exact location that he saw the wood chipper on this bridge, and it happened to be a bridge over the Housatonic River. And they found a pile of wood chips they also found an envelope in the pile that was hardly like scratched up or torn and it belonged t- to hella L crafts it had her name and address on the envelope which now tied her to this pile of wood chips.
0: like it was her
1: very like on the nose of what they're looking for and then there it is an envelope with her name and address on it uh-huh, <laughs> this case is like very weird because things like that I feel like just keep happening where it's like all of a sudden just like a very obvious piece of evidence just like smacks them in the face like they're right. to, they're chasing this lead of some guy saying he saw a wood chipper, and then there's a piece of mail addressed to her like in the pile of wood chips, like it's meant to be. <laughs> they discovered some other various things in the pile, like blonde hair, fabric, metal fragments, bone fragments. And then suddenly, a painted fingernail. Ugh. A whole nail. <laughs> um, they decided they wanted to dig deeper into the location and were hoping to find more evidence. They hired divers to dive into the river and discovered pieces of a chainsaw with the serial number intentionally scratched off.
0: Oh, God.
1: So a forensic team investigated every notch on the chainsaw blade and found human hair, human tissue, and a piece of fiber. The fiber that was on the chainsaw blade matched the other fibers discovered at the river in the woodchip pile. The fibers were a blue-green color that matched the same color as Hella's favorite nightshirt. Oh. So all this stuff that's, like, adding up but still is not like, enough evidence so they need to now prove who owned the chainsaw. The forensic team used a chemical mixture to remove the top layer of metal on the chainsaw to reveal the serial number underneath it after it had been tampered and they were un- they were able to uncover the serial number. Once running the number it did match the warranty card connected to Richard B. Krauss. Oh. Bum, bum, bum.
0: Of course it is it's always the husband. Yeah.
1: This man's just like tricky so now they had proof that the pile is connected to Hella at at the hands of Richard but still no body they can't prove she's dead she's still just missing at this point right they still can't prove exactly what the chainsaw and the wood chipper was used for there's no body parts there's just a fingernail so they decided they wanted to pinpoint whose hair was on the chainsaw blade and whose hair was at the river they collected 2,660 pieces of hair that were individually examined under a microscope.
0: Oh, could you imagine when you get tasked with that job? No. Please observe and record the next 300 strands of hair.
1: mm <laughs> and, like, it's just like a bad day. Like, you come in, you're like, oh, what am I going to do at work today? And then your boss is like, oh, you have 3,000 pieces of hair I need to look at. Oh, fucking great. Um, oh, they catchy. did extract Hella's hairbrush to prove that the hair found in the blade and in the pile was Hella's, and microscopically they were the same. Additionally, they took a bottle of nail polish off of Hella's nightstand that matched the polish on the fingernail found. Oh. But they still needed to prove that she was dead they wanted to go back to the bone fragments that were found in the pile and sadly what they decided to do was take a a little baby pig Mm. dead a pig man and they put the animal through the wood chipper in order to like see the breakage and see like how the grooves of the bone looked after going through the wood chipper to see if it matched the same types of like grooves and crushing and breakage that the bone fragments found were and they the, the grooves did match so the bone fragments that were found on the pile had to have gone through the wood chipper um, bone fragments found at the river were also identified as human and pieces of a skull oh. proving a human had to be dead a oh, skull went I through a wood word. chipper evidence proves so so that means someone's dead
0: Gross.
1: They still needed to prove that that person that's dead is Hella. Her hair's there, but they need more. Days, I, why would you need more? After I know, you just it's... have,
0: like, all this hair and you have her fingernails. That's what and... I'm
1: saying. Like, it's crazy. Like, I feel like there's just so much evidence and they're still just, like, going and going. And I'm like, what's happening? Right. But, after searching for days, um, where am I at? I'm sorry. Okay, so after searching for days, there was a team of people who were looking through, like, the water, looking through the river, looking near the pile, like, trying to find anything that would be, like, more hard evidence that it was definitely Hella and that she was definitely dead. Right. And one of the lead, like, forensic team members that was there, he fell, and he was, like, dirty, he had stuff on his hands, he, like, walked back up the side of the river into, like, the tent where they, you know... Like headquartering, and he goes to clean his hands, and he has a tooth <laughs> stuffed to his hand. Hey, human tooth.
0: How's it going?
1: Another thing, just slap them right in the face, just more evidence, and like coincidentally. And of course, the tooth did match Hella's dental records, um, and now they can officially prove that this is Hella's body that has been tied to the, the chainsaw and the wood chip wood chipper <laughs> um, and they also were able to conclude that the tooth was knocked violently out of the skull by the way that it was broken oh so based on this forensic uh, this forensic evidence and all the many pieces of evidence that they've already found finally they are able to arrest and charge richard crafts with her murder thank god um, they suspected what had happened was she returned home from her flight, put her kids to bed, changed into her favorite blue-green nightshirt, went through the mail and probably started to talk or argue with Richard. She stuffed a piece into her shirt pocket, was changing the sheets or making the bed and was like, you know, turned to have her back and was leaning over the bed when a police maglite knocked her to the ground. After being hit in the head, while falling, her head grazed the side of the mattress, creating that six-inch blood smear. Ew. Richard used a sheet to carry her body into the garage, put her in the freezer. Oh. While he cleaned up the blood with the towels, took the kids to school, and then went to rent the wood chipper and u U-Haul to get to work
0: just any old regular monday morning correct
1: um it is suspected that he used the wood chipper to dismember her frozen body she was most likely so frozen that there might not have been any blood spatter as she fed through the wood chipper um and the mail that passed through the wood chipper was in her pocket protected and went through untouched and was just left there with the other pieces of her body And that piece of mail is really what tied her to, you know, the scene. Like, this pile, this chainsaw, this whatever. Like, it was her because her name and address was placed there. Um, Right. And then after, you know, he passed her through, he scratched the serial number of the chainsaw out, threw it in the river, suspecting no one would even ever get that far. And that they wouldn't be able to tie any of it to him. But he's spending the rest of his life away good a little shit
0: a little disgusting little man
1: and that is the story of the woodchip murder the murder of hella crafts
0: hella disgusting had a
1: hella bad day
0: <laughs> a hella she, bad monday <laughs> yeah she went
1: through that woodchip hella frozen <laughs> she's so mean but whatever
0: she did not eat hell of a good dip on that Monday she morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was the hell of a
1: good dip that morning. The wood chips. Oh no.
0: She's just eating the wood chips with their hell of a good dip.
1: She is the wood chips. I can't. <laughs> That's
0: so gross.
1: I was really excited for this one because it's watching so it on Forensic good. Files I was like, oh shit. This is a good one.
0: Forensic Files always makes the story so intense because they're like... It's the music and the way the narrator is and just how it is. It is is crazy. Maybe I'll start watching that again.
1: I hadn't seen it in forever and I just watched this episode and was like, what? That's so good. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) And it was in the 80s, so, you know, he thought he was going to get away with it. Things were different and he just said, fuck it, kill his wife.
0: He just... Fucked up real hard.
1: I don't know what his plan
0: was, but uh, <laughs> he did it. Oh, God. Yeah, well, That's that was really gross.
1: Yeah, very much so. Good. Are you ready for some spookies?
0: Yes. Oh, no. I'm, no, it's good. It's a good one. Okay. Uh, but it's so it's not a story about a certain place. Okay. It's the history of dun dun dun. Oh, I'm nervous. No, it's good. It's the history of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, I freaking love them. <laughs> That's so exciting. I love
1: okay. Ed and Lorraine.
0: Yeah. Well, so I Googled them and I was like, oh like where are they from or whatever? And I was like, Connecticut. And I was like, please fucking say I am doing Connecticut. <laughs> you are doing Connecticut. And so well, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. So there they're museum. There is a lot of information about these two, so it's very condensed and whatever, but it's good. I'm in. All right. So, the history of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, Much of what we know today about the paranormal can be attributed to the two people, Ed and Lorraine. Um, In fact, there may be no greater authorities to about the subject ed warren I was <laughs> ed was a demonologist and lorraine was a clairvoyant medium yeah. uh-huh and together they decided that their lives to they dedicated their lives to saving others from the demonic life over a span of 50 years they investigated thousands of reports involving devils demons and poltergeists they documented some of the most famous hauntings Mm -hmm. cases ever recorded with help from their doctors nurses priests researchers reporters and police the work has inspired some of the most terrifying horror movies to ever come out and basically we're just going to go over their life and oh, take a look into some of the most notable paranormal investigations.
1: So they definitely did like pave the way for like paranormal for sure. Yeah,
0: no, they definitely did, and we'll kind of go over that as well. But yeah, it's a it's a good one. So allegedly, they worked on ten thousand cases in their time of investigating. Um, even if they were recorded or not, they were alleged to be a part of ten thousand cases. Okay. So Ed was born on September seventh, nineteen twenty-six, with to Pauline and Frank Miney. Um, Ed was five years old when he started seeing spirits. He would hear footsteps in their house, names being called out in the middle of the night. There is a particular story of him where he would be in his bed and he would hear his name being called out mm-hmm. from his closet and he Ew. would go out in the middle, you know, go o- like go open it. Mm-hmm. and he would see this ball of light like circle around and then it would go into the middle of his room. and the ball of light would turn to an older lady's face. And (laughs) it would, like, come up to him, and he could hear breathing, and he saw lots of shadows. And when he was little, he asked his dad about it, and eventually he was like, there's got to be a logical reason for all of this. Mm -hmm. And he never really gave Ed a logical reason for certain things, so he kind of just went with it, really. He had a pretty normal childhood. He was raised in the Catholic Church. His dad was a Connecticut state policeman. Um, when he was eight, that was kind of his first time you've ever heard of an exorcism. This pastor came up to his dad at church, and they were talking about one of their neighbors being possessed or something. Mm-hmm. Because in the Catholic religion, apparently, is they're very open to... Like, the devil. Yeah, like, he exists if God exists. It's mm -hmm. a really real thing. Okay, that makes
1: sense. Mm -hmm. I've
0: definitely heard that before. Yeah. In 1927 is when Lorraine was born. She was about nine years old when she realized that she had abilities. Um, She could see one's auras. So, she would look at a person, and if they were a pastel color, she knew that they were good. And if it was like a horrible dark color that person was just not bad oh my God. um she did go to a prestigious catholic school and this is kind of when she started to realize she needed to keep these abilities to
1: herself can you imagine how much time that saved her
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> she didn't have to fuck with no boys or any bitchy high school friends she was like your aura fucking says it all I You're fucking disgusting. Time. I don't need to waste my time here. You're <laughs> a bad human. The aura says so I'm not getting bullied by you today. You're that. horrible,
0: disgusting. Kinda of jealous, not gonna <laughs> Oh my god. Um and then let's see, one time she was her and her class were planting a tree and she didn't see the seed that they were planting. She saw the tree. And it was kind Mm. of, she was like looking up in the sky and her teacher was like, why are you looking up in the sky? And she's like, the tree is so beautiful. And she's like looking up there and she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? There's nothing there. And it was like she could see into the future. And so she asked her, like, can you see into the future? And she was like, I guess. And it just wasn't really good. There was another time that two nuns were watching over the class. And one was named Mother Superior, and the other one was named Sister Joseph. And while they were watching the class, Lorraine pointed at them and said, Hey, look, Sister Joseph lights are brighter than Mother Superior's. And no one could see what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. So that was when she kind of realized, like, oh, I am very alone in this. I need to keep it to myself. I need to zip it up.
1: Wow, crazy how she could, like infer that and like make that decision like oh I need to keep this to myself like so
0: young yeah and she's like 9 mm-hmm. um after that incident mon- Mother Superior pulled Lorraine aside and told her that she couldn't talk to anyone like that again or and she just needs to keep those things to herself or she's gonna be sent home Um, Mm -hmm. according to Lorraine, she never wanted to be different. She never really told her parents about her abilities. She really never told anybody about these, but she did say that she never regretted her gifts because it was something that she was grateful for. She did say that when she would need to use these gifts and have them come in handy, they would take a huge toll on her. They were super draining on her because Mm -hmm. apparently not all of the time that they would work, she would have to like manifest it Mm -hmm. and it was just mentally probably physically super demanding and so her body couldn't take it um in 1944 ed and lorraine were 16 years old when they met every wednesday lorraine would go to the movies with her mom and ed would usher the movies and eventually they started talking apparently when lorraine first saw ed she didn't see the teenage version version of ed she saw the older version of ed like how she saw the future of the tree and so that was kind of how she knows she knew was like this is the guy i'm going to marry Mm -hmm. she knew like immediately that was
1: probably saved her a lot of time (laughs) yeah yeah she was like i don't need to worry about it that's the man i'm gonna marry so whatever
0: right um and she just kind of knew that was going to be her husband they both had an interest in the paranormal world ed was the first person lorraine could tell about her gifts she just felt really comfortable with him to do that um one year later into the relationship ed turned 17 and he went into the army and so most of the relationship was running back and forth until he was gone and he would come back uh, his ship um got in a huge wreck, and so it started sinking, and a lot of men died. He was one of five survivors. Oh, my God. That's And nothing. he said that he just remembers getting pulled out of the water by, like, an angel, quote-unquote. And so, because of this accident, he got put on leave. And when he was on leave, Ed and Lorraine got married in 1945. Aww. And then the day after their honeymoon, um, he had to go back to the war. um, But he was only in there for like one or two more years mm-hmm. because he got out when he was 22 and when he was on leave him and Lorraine got pregnant. And so when he left, she was like wrote him and said, Hey, like I'm having a baby and they had their daughter, Judy. Um, Lorraine was 21 when they thought they would be making a le- living as an artist. Um, Ed went to an art school and he loved painting, painting pictures of homes, and Lorraine liked to do art as well. Um, he would just paint local houses and then just go sell them to the people of the of the homes, and that's how they oh, made their cool. living. They thought they would open a gallery together, more or less. Um, because of their interests in haunted houses, they would go. So there's this magazine, and the magazine specifies in paranormal things and all haunted stories, and they would go to visit these haunted houses, and Ed would draw the picture, and Lorraine would take it to the house and say, my husband drew this, we were just wondering if we could trade your haunted stories for this picture and so they eventually became known as the people that would come to haunted houses and paint the pictures of them Okay. Um, that's really cool though yeah sorry my phone's freaking out (laughs) um so they did it so often that they were known for their drawings and eventually they got called um to do some backup um, on certain cases when they were needed. In the 50s and 60s they became their most popular time and they were known um, as the people to go and do weird things at your home like paint pictures in front of your house. In 1952 They founded the New England Society of Research, and they used that as their company to keep logs of the cases they worked on and all of the research of the homes and cases that they wanted to eventually do. In the 1970s, they were known as the Seekers of the Supernatural. Um, In the mid-70s is kind of when things really took off for them. They had their very first big case, and that was the Lindley Street Poltergeist. Um, they were invited on a lot of, um, cases after that very quickly, such as, yeah, such as like the Amityville house. Ah! Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Um, after they did the Amityville house, they did the Smurl house and those things kind of happened within the three years and that's when they started becoming a huge deal in real time, you would know that the Warrens were very involved, but in the storytellings, you didn't really hear anything about them. But, like, they were local and they okay. were new, as known as the people working on those cases. Um, because of their break, they went on a lot of talk shows and wrote books and kind of had their own TV show, and it was called The Seekers of the Supernatural. I don't know how long that went on for, but I think you can find it on YouTube. Oh, okay. <laughs> the best part about the Warrens when they were big in the community is that they kind of showed other people that they be- can become investigators. So they were the ones that were telling people, like, you have these interests, you should take it. Yeah. Let's do all these it. investigations together. Wow. They kind of just opened the door for many people to get in the field um during the rise of fame lots of people were skeptics and had a lot of horrible things to say about them there were lots of questions about their legitimate work and if they actually were real or is it fake and they took that very personal and very hard um, one thing about them is that they did every case non-paid um, they didn't want people's money. they just wanted to help and meet new people oh and kind of just learn their stories. and because of that they made made it through shows and books and stuff but they that's how they made their money was because of the shows and books and kind of stuff like that. but they never like asked oh, for easy. money. Um, Ed was famous for actively trying to debunk things. He was actually a huge skeptic mm-hmm. in these kinds of things. Um, he just wanted to help as many people as he could. Being Catholic, he was always prepared to run into things um, and just know that he could debunk them or if they're going to be taken serious. Um, UCLA was very skeptic about Lorraine and her abilities, so they wanted to do a type of testing on her. And so when they did this testing, they deemed her as a light trans medium, and she is very aware of what's going around her during her trans. So um, during those trans, there's two types of trans where there's Lorraine, where she can go through a trance but she can be very aware of what's going on around her. So she's seeing all these things, but she's, she knows like, oh, I'm here. This is what I'm doing. What's going on? Okay, or there's like conscious of it. Yeah, that yeah, pretty much. Okay. And then there's a dark trance where they when they go into trans, trance and they have no idea where they are. They have no idea what's happening, who they're talking like, to. For the difference, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh shoot. Yeah. Um They're the first haunted house they ever like did together. They there's the story of Lorraine when she went to a trance, like she Oh, what's the word? She, like, came out of her body.
1: Oh, um... Oh, my God. <laughs> Astroproject? Yes. Okay. Yeah,
0: she did that, and she had no clue that's what she was doing until she realized Scary. what she was doing, and she was like, oh, shit, this is what I just did. <laughs> cool.
1: Out my body. <laughs>
0: Um, by the eighties, they were widely popular and they did over a thousand cases and they did open their museum in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, they liked to collect trophies from every case that they did. Mm-hmm. And eventually they like opened the museum and put it in there. Oh, they, okay, okay. they did charge people to go into the museum. And so that was kind of a huge Point for other people to become a skeptic is because, like, why would you charge someone to go into a museum of, like, haunted things? And during weird shit. Um... Oh, funny? Yeah. During their peak, the church was very secretive about exorcisms and hauntings. It, um... Avenued Ed to reach out to the media. He was very... Talkative with the media, so he did as much as possible to get them involved because he wanted others to know about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, he want just wanted them to stop being so secretive about things. Um, he would talk about them. He would record them. Ed said that he was shocked about how many priests would say that there's no such thing as the devil, and he wouldn't. He just would be surprised and be like, "What the? F- yeah, what do you do mean?" You, like- believe on one side and not the other. Yeah. Um, Ed brought a lot of college students into his lectures and he would say the devil is real. Don't mess with it. Um, don't do Ouija boards. It was basically a dare program for ghosts, is what they said. Mm. He would make sure like if you're interested in in the paranormal world, these are the guidelines. Like yeah. don't mess with the shit. Um when people would call out ed he would say um yes you know like if people called him out and said you're only doing this for the fame you're only doing it for the clout you're doing it for the money (laughs) these are the like you're only doing it for the popularity he'd be like yeah definitely just to expose the devil that's what i'm doing that's that's my job i'm here to pay get paid so you can i can show you the devil is real wow um, in 2006, Ed died, and Lorraine refused to ever go into the museum without Ed. In 2019, Lorraine died, and her hus- her daughter and her husband did take on the legacy. Her husband was very interested in the paranormal world, and so he just kept he keeps on going essentially. His so, daughter's husband. Uh huh. And oh, so they wow. they keep the museum active. They blessed every every month or every week or whatever they did
1: yeah, Hello blessings.
0: yeah. Hello um blessings. <laughs> apparently the night that Lorraine died they had her in the funeral home and there was security cameras and apparently there was a bunch of orbs that were floating around her casket just wow. you know you could see all those auras and everything mm-hmm. going around um
1: that's crazy. Yeah. She's there for sure.
0: Right. Um, some of the things about Ed and Lorraine um was obviously that there is the huge side of are they real or are they fake? Do they make money? Are they just doing this for the mm-hmm. money? Mm-hmm. Are they just doing it for the popularity? Like is it Which real? Like What's not it going on? Not even yeah. And so there was a lot of people that just hated them. And they Yeah well, stuff like
1: that. The the skeptics or whatever, even though they do have like a lot of fan them I'm sure it comes with a lot of like negativity and just like hate.
0: Yeah, definitely. But yeah, that is the very condensed and short version of Ed and Lorraine Warren.
1: The spooky Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah.
0: They it's so, so crazy. cute.
1: <laughs> I like if you listen to the stories. Of the actual hauntings that are like movies, like the Conjuring movies and like stuff like that, like Amityville Horror. If you like listen to the cases, like in real life, like not just like a movie, it's crazy. Like right, they're so like.
0: There's they're intense. really crazy. They're
1: intense, like that one. I don't remember which movie it is, but the one that's like in England, with like the. I have no oh, idea crooked back man crooked spine man that was in the movie i don't know if that was part of the case but like the cases are wild like, mm-hmm. they are so like violent and insane They did right. a lot of like crazy stuff to like get paranormal investigating like on the map
0: right because it was a huge part of their life and that's really what they wanted to do yeah. and they wanted to open the doors for a lot of people to get involved um because of, like, The Conjuring and stuff, apparently they have lots of lawsuits hmm. from The Conjuring series, um, but like that's probably, should, yeah, There's... we'll probably oh, have to do, happen. like, a side episode, and maybe that's one we could do together, is, like, a deep-dive like research. Too. Uh-huh. Like I a... like
1: that. Uh-huh. I like that idea. We'll to... There's a lot of good and Lorraine pieces. Yeah. And... I'm sure there's lots of good juicy details on them we could deep dive on.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. It's a good one. It's a very short and condensed story, but it's no, pretty good.
1: It's good. It's a teaser. We can do more now if we want. I love that.
0: Ayo. I love that. Right. <laughs> R. D. Yeah. Well, high five to Connecticut.
1: For sure, dude. Connecticut. <laughs>
0: Connecticut. <laughs>
1: I'm still thinking uh, about how I said shmier. Shmier? <laughs> like shmiering I can't.
0: Bagel shmier. Uh,
1: hopefully this sounds good and that you guys can hear this <laughs> these were two really fun stories.
0: I've been so excited about this one for a long time.
1: Fuck yeah, that's something to be excited about. They're great.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's it?
1: Yeah, next week is Delaware. I am paranormal.
0: True crime, true crime,
1: Hell true yeah. crime. Um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else we need to know? Just the usual is follow us on Instagram. Like and subscribe, please.
0: At my, true normal. At my true normal. And we will catch you on a very wonderful next Monday. Have <laughs> blessing your weeks,
1: always. <laughs>
0: Thanks, guys. Okay, bye.